Well, good morning, everyone. Last week, we talked about what it looked like to put on the, the armor of God, first worn by Christ and then given to us. We learned that Paul says, take it up and put it on. We learned that we wear the armor of God in order to stand firm in what we stand for. We want to be strong in our convictions and our faith in Jesus Christ. Our goal in life is to put the gospel on display. By wearing the armor of God, we stand ready. We are alert. We are prepared. Because we recognize that we are living in enemy territory. And so the, the threat of attack is imminent. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when the enemy will employ his deceitful schemes. As we read this part of the, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a, a picture I had in my mind was almost like a, a pregame huddle. And it was like he was getting the Ephesians together and rallying their, uh, their anticipation of a, of a battle that they were going to walk into. He's telling them that we need to be ready for that battle. We need to be equipped by the Lord. We need to be strong in Him and in His might. So I want us to use our sanctified imaginations this morning. We're going to work through something together. And so Owen Martin, where are you, bud? Come up here. So Owen was one of the players on a baseball team that I had the privilege of coaching this year. And Owen was the greatest encourager I've ever witnessed in my entire life. That boy could keep his teammates upbeat and excited. So I couldn't think of any better person to help me than you, Owen. So we're going to do this together. Here, here's how this is going to work. Everybody stand up. All right, so the first thing we're going to do is just real slow and easy. We're just going to start clapping. Okay. Not quite so loud because then you won't be able to hear me, so a little softer. Okay, here in a little bit, I'm going to read something to you. And when I'm done reading, I'm going to say, are you ready? And you're going to respond together. Let's just practice that. You ready? That wasn't the time. Ready? <laughs> are you ready? Are you set? Okay, now, when we do this for real, when I say, are you ready? Yes. Are you set? Yes. Then I'm going to do something, and you need to do exactly what I do. Okay? Now, some of you may not be able to do that, and it's okay. You just sit down and watch what happens, but you're going to do it with me together. Y'all ready? Okay, Owen, get them started. Just nice and slow. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and done everything to stand firm. Are you ready? Yes. Are you set? Yes. Then get on your knees. All right, stay there. Stay there. Paul is going to teach us that the spiritual battle is ultimately won on our knees. Prayer is is the most important weapon against the deceitful schemes of the devil. 
And we're going to learn what that looks like this morning. But since you're already there, let me pray for our time. God, thanks so much for just the reminder of how dependent we are upon you. And there is no posture that reflects that better than the posture of prayer. We need you. We depend on you. You are our hope, our strength, our might. We don't stand a chance apart from you. So even this morning, as we open up your word, as we consider the truths of what you're instructing us in, may we see things more clearly than we ever have. May we understand the battle more clearly than we ever have. And may we understand the hope and strength that we have in you more than we ever have. This is our earnest prayer, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Great job, Owen. All right, I was worried whether I was going to be able to get you back after that. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul continuing his instruction on this spiritual battle after talking about the armor of God. He goes on in verse 18 and says, With all prayer, petition, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and all petition for all the saints. And we're going to stop there and just think about what he just said. With all prayer, at all times, in all perseverance, for all the saints. Humble prayer is the ultimate weapon against those spiritual forces of darkness, of deceit, of wickedness. And Paul is emphasizing this very point more than anything he says about any piece of the armor that he just walked through. Because the spiritual battle is ultimately won on our knees. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. We do not have a chance to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. If we are not pursuing God in prayer, spending time in His Word, and living in fellowship with His people. Don't miss what I just said. Mark it down. Mark my word. Find it in here. Because it's there. We do not stand a chance to stand firm against the schemes of the devil if we are not pursuing God in prayer, spending time in His Word, and living in fellowship with his people. If that doesn't describe your life as a Christian, then you are at great risk of being deceived by our enemy. You see, if, if prayer is something that you do only when you're in a pinch, you know, those crisis moments where that's the only thing you can think of doing, if that describes your prayer life, you're in trouble. If spending time in God's word only happens on Sunday morning when somebody reads it to you, you're in trouble. If living in fellowship with God's people is important when it's convenient and fits into your otherwise busy schedule, you are in trouble. You see, apart from Him, we are at great risk of being deceived by our enemy. Remember what we talked about last week? Don't underestimate 
the powerful influence of our enemy in this world. This is his domain. We are on his territory. Don't underestimate the powerful influence of our enemy. And right beside that, don't overestimate your ability to stand strong on your own. That song we just sang, that, that's not some sentimental statement. It's a fact. Lord, we need you. Every single hour, we need you. And if that's not something you believe, you are being deceived. Prayer is a posture of dependence that proclaims that there's an understanding and a belief that that is absolutely true. Lord, every hour, I need you. Now, Paul's going to list several qualities and characteristics about prayer and what that looks like. But I don't want you to look at these as some kind of special ingredients that you can mix together and somehow have this especially powerful prayer life. In fact, I believe prayer has a whole lot more to do with what's going on in our heart than the impact that it has in the lives of anyone else. Paul is still instructing us on what it means to stand firm. He hasn't left the topic of winning a spiritual battle. And prayer is an important part of that process. First, Paul tells us to pray at all times. And what I think he has in mind here is don't put prayer on a list of spiritual disciplines and check it off when you're done. Okay? Had my moment of prayer? Check. I'm done with that. Because let me ask you this. Does God stop working when you stop praying? Of course not. So pray at all times. Continually, continual prayer keeps us continually alert. It, it protects us from being distracted by our own agenda. It, it sets our minds on the purposes of God and His work in the world. How many of you ever done the uh, Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? Probably a lot of you have. It's been around a long time. It's a great little study. And one of the things that I really appreciate and I always remember about this study is the reminder that God is always at work around us, right? And what we are talking about here is that if we are alert, we see where he's at work around us, and we understand what it means to be invited into that work alongside him. In the end, a healthy prayer life is a sign of spiritual maturity. It is a heart that cultivates an alertness to where God is at work around us. A willingness to be involved in that work. But continual prayer is not some kind of mindless jabbering. Okay, It's very simple. Don't make this complicated. So when you're going into a meeting, you might simply pray, Lord, help me speak when I need to speak and listen when I need to listen. Be slow to speak. <laughs> Slow to anger. Be quick to listen. Or you may be going into a hospital room and the prayer may be simply, Lord, help me to comfort somebody I really sincerely care about today. It may be on a drive to work and you simply pray, Lord, help me see where you are at work today around me in my job. That's continual prayer. It's these moments of going before the Lord 
and asking him to guide you and direct you. Keeps you attentive and aware of what's happening. And Paul goes on to say, pray at all times in the spirit. Because remember, this is a spiritual battle, right? So in the words of a movie, you might, you might hear someone say, don't take a knife to a gunfight. Right? Same idea here. You can't do spiritual battle with human wisdom. You don't have a chance. Spiritual prayers must be spirit-led. But here again, don't make this say something that Scripture doesn't intend. This is not some special prayer language. This is not some unique anointing of the Spirit. Paul's already told us what a Spirit-led prayer is. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We've already looked at it. Let us be reminded again what he has in mind. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we have our access in one spirit to the Father. You see, our access to the Father is through the Spirit. There is no other kind of prayer other than a Spirit-led prayer because it's only through the Spirit that we have access to the Father. You see, praying in the Spirit is ultimately an attitude of surrender, a willingness to align our heart with God's will. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And it's very familiar. You know what he said. He said, then say this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you hear what he just said? Pray that your heart might be aligned with God's will. That's a spirit-led prayer. Remember what we learned in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So where do you think the Spirit is going to take you to understand God's will and purpose for your life? The Word, right? So very often what we'll find is that a Spirit-led prayer is aligned with the promise of God's Word because that's where He's going to take you. That's what he's going to bring to mind. And our willingness to align our life with God's will is the heart of prayer. Praying at all times in the Spirit so that we might be alert. You see, we are easily lulled to sleep in the absence of prayer. We are easily distracted by our own agenda and the things going around us in the absence of prayer. But persistent prayer keeps us alert. Remember, Jesus often told his disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray. He told them over and over again, and I believe it's the very same idea that Paul has in mind here. Setting our minds on God helps us be prevented from getting lost in the ways of the world. It keeps our hearts in the proper perspective. Setting our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. Praying with persistence. And he goes on to say, for all the saints. Now, at first that sounds pretty simple. But if you think about it, at least for me, it's pretty convicting. Because what do my prayers often focus on? Me and my immediate family. It's a very tight circle. 
But what Paul is saying here reminds us that (laughs) this is our family. Right here. The household of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we pray for each other, God knits our hearts together in miraculous ways. It is one of the ways in which we protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace is by faithfully praying for all the saints. With all prayer, at all times, and all perseverance for all the saints. Look at how he continues. Verse 19. And pray on my behalf that the utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Spirit-led prayers are gospel-minded prayers. And as we think through that, let me make a couple of quick observations. The first one is this. Don't miss the fact that Paul the apostle is asking for prayer. What that tells us is that there are no superheroes in the faith. There is no one who stands alone in their own strength apart from the strength of the body of Christ. No one. Not an apostle, not a prophet, not anyone in the body of Christ. In fact, I think that's one of Satan's greatest deceptions is to convince you that you can. Oh, you don't need the church. I mean, everybody, there's a bunch of hypocrites anyway, right? You've got other things you can do, and you can do them on your own and be just fine. You don't need to ask for help. That's a sign of weakness. No, that's a lie. Because asking for prayer is actually a sign of strength. Those who are spiritually mature know how much they need God. They are the ones most unwilling to stand on their own. That's the reason Paul asked for prayer. Not because it's a weakness, but because it's a strength. The second observation is that Paul is not asking to be released from his circumstances. Instead, he's, being, he's asking to be faithful in the midst of them. Don't forget, Paul's in prison. He is an ambassador in chains, literally. But he didn't say to the Ephesians, please pray that these chains will be released so I can be set free. That's not what he asked. Twice in the request, he said, pray that I may be bold. Pray that I may speak boldly. Pray that I may be faithful in the circumstances of which I'm in. So the question is, what does Paul want us to pray for? Well, I think he answers that question based on a promise that he knew God would provide. First of all, look at verse 19 again. He says, And pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Okay, keep your finger there. Go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So the very first gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 19. Now, keep in mind what Paul just asked them to pray for, and then listen to what verse 19 in chapter 10 has to say. 
We'll look at 19 and 20. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Isn't that what Paul just asked for? That is not a coincidence. Paul is modeling for us what he's calling us to reflect. And that is to pray in the Spirit by aligning our prayers with the promises of God. Pray that I might be faithful in the midst of these circumstances to speak boldly in trusting God to give me the words in the moment that I need them most. Because that's what he promised he would do. And that's his request. So when Jesus says, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you, this is what it looks like. Praying in God's name is praying according to God's will, and God's will is often reflected in God's word. So when we're praying the promises of God, you can rest assured God is faithful to fulfill those promises. See, Paul is in prison, awaiting an audience with the Roman officials. As a citizen of Rome, this was his right to request this uh, opportunity. But I can assure you, he's not requesting this so that he can go before these officials and prove what an innocent man he is and how he has been wrongly accused. No, Paul had prayed that he would have an opportunity to speak the gospel in Rome. And it just so happens that the avenue that God chose was through a prison so that he might stand before those officials and speak to them about what it means to have faith in Christ alone. This was the answer to Paul's prayer. And he recognizes that he has the opportunity to be faithful in the midst of his circumstances. He wants to be bold in the conviction of salvation in Christ alone. In a very real way, Paul is on a rescue mission. He's been dropped right in the middle of enemy territory. The threat of the enemy is imminent. It's all around him. And so he's praying for the faithful support of the household of God to circle around him so that he can be committed to doing exactly what God has called him to do, to speak the gospel boldly. And how he lives and in what he says. Paul's prayer request is biblically grounded and it is gospel-minded. He didn't ask for his circumstances to change. He prayed to be faithful in the midst of them. I can't hear that and not think (laughs) about my brother Jay. There is not a person in my life that I've ever seen demonstrate that better than him in the midst of his battle with cancer he said with the utmost conviction Todd understand I will be healed I don't know if it's on this side of heaven or the next but it's a promise and I believe it's true that's a prayer of conviction it's biblically based it is gospel minded And that's what Paul is calling us to. A complete and absolute trust in a sovereign God who is 
ultimately in control and is forever faithful to his promises. Now look at what he says in verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that, you, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be in the brethren, and love with faith. For God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those with love of our Lord Jesus Christ, a love incorruptible. Now, you're not going to find Tychicus in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith. <laughs> But I consider him to be one of the most important figures in all of Scripture. How many of you know the, the life and ministry of the disciple named Tychicus? A few of you, but there's not much to go on. I'll tell you that right now. Here are some things that we do know about him. We know that he was the man responsible for taking this letter, which Paul wrote in Rome, and delivering it to the Ephesian church. Important job, wouldn't you say? So he's a faithful man. We also know that he did the very same thing with a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. If we read on, we learn in the New Testament that Tychicus was the man that Paul asked to cover for Timothy and Titus when he asked them to come visit him in Rome. So in their absence, Tychicus was to fill in as an interim pastor in those churches where they served. So clearly, he's a very faithful man. He's a man that could be trusted. But he wasn't a best-selling author. He wasn't a ministry guru. He wasn't a well-known preacher. In fact, he did most of his work behind the scenes. But in God's kingdom plan, people like Tychicus are typically the ones who were making the biggest difference. They may not be well-known to us, but I feel certain that they are well-known in the heavenly realms. Because they are faithful in working behind the scenes. At the end of the day, I think that's what we should all strive for. Not to be famous, but to be faithful. Not to be known and recognized for everything that we do, but to be grateful when God gets the glory. That's Tychicus. The other thing that he is asked to do is to just comfort the Ephesians by giving them more details than what are included in this letter. And I believe it will comfort them because what Paul is saying is, hey, don't be worried about my circumstances. In fact, listen to how God has been faithful to provide in the midst of them. And when you hear that, you're going to be comforted. You're going to be encouraged. And then Paul closes the letter really in the same way that he began it. It's like bookends to an incredible letter describing the blessings that have been bestowed upon us as believers in Jesus Christ, and what it looks like to be faithful in obedience to those blessings as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a goldmine. In fact, if we wanted to, we could start the study of Ephesians back again next week in chapter 1, and I guarantee you, we would learn something new every single week. But before we leave this morning, I want us to think about some things from our passage specifically, that would apply to us in how we live. First, I hope that you see 
that prayer is not just a spiritual discipline, that it's actually a spiritual thermometer. Our prayer life says something about our spiritual health. Prayer is a posture of dependence. It's an attitude of trust. It's an evidence of a heart that is seeking the Lord. It is an undeniable quality of a person who is faithfully following Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to be faithful in pursuing and cultivating a life of prayer in an effort to to help us all in that. Let me give you a few suggestions. First, be committed to prayers that are biblically minded or biblically grounded and gospel minded. Be committed to prayers that are biblically grounded and gospel minded. I've mentioned this resource to you before, but I want to tell you about it again. It's a book called Face to Face by a man named Kenneth Boa. All it is is a pattern of praying the scripture. It's filled with scripture and it puts it in a way that you pray it in first person, okay? For me, it's been very helpful to to see what that looks like and to then employ that in my prayer life, and I go back to it routinely. So that's a great resource that that I would point you to. You see, setting our mind on God's promises is what helps us keep our prayers gospel-centered. We get so accustomed in, in America by assuming that the Christian life is defined by everything going well, right? If, if I do the right things, it's almost like a Christian right for my life to be good. But is that a promise that's true of Scripture? I was reminded Mike, by Mike Lovinger, he came by my office this week and gave me an excerpt from a book he was reading by Randy Alcorn, and it really made me stop in my tracks. I want to read it to you and see if it doesn't do the same for you. Listen to what it says. It says, in America, a sharp-looking businessman stands up at a luncheon to give his testimony. Before I knew Christ, he said, I had nothing. My business was in bankruptcy. My health was bad. I'd nearly lost my family. Then I accepted Christ. He took me out of bankruptcy, and my business has doubled its profits. My blood pressure has dropped to normal, and I feel great. Best of all, my wife and children have have come back, and we're a family again. God is good. Praise the Lord. In China, a disheveled former university professor gives his testimony. Before I met Christ, I had everything. Then I came to know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. As a result, I lost my post at the university, lost my house, I now work for substance wage at a factory. My wife rejected me because of my conversion. She took my son away. I haven't seen him for five years. I live with constant pain from injuries when police drag me away from unregistered church services. But God is good, and I praise him for his faithfulness. He goes on to say this, And while the American brother certainly should give thanks He and the rest of us must carefully sort out how much of what he has is a part of the gospel and how much is not. Any gospel that is more true in America than in China is not the true gospel. That struck me. And I think it is a powerful, powerful reminder. The fact is, we are living in the midst 
of a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle is ultimately won on our knees. Prayer is our greatest weapon against Satan and his deceitful schemes because it puts us in a place of dependence on the Lord and protects us from the wrong assumption that we can do just fine on our own. That's a lie, and it's straight from the enemy. So, with that in mind, I want to ask for your prayers. Today I start a sabbatical, and I have no idea what that means. I've never done a sabbatical before, and I'll be real honest with you and tell you, I am more anxious than I am excited. <laughs> because I really don't know what to expect, both of myself and for anybody else. Am I going to meet your expectations? I don't know, because I don't know what those are. <laughs> and so what I've done is in the back of the bulletin, I've written just some requests that you can consider for me and my family. And if you would, just consider those. And if you would pray for us, we would be very grateful for that. The other thing, in light of what we just said this morning, um, there's a passage in Psalm 34 that comes to mind when I think about maybe what a sabbatical is supposed to be about. And it says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Well, that's my desire. That's my definition of sabbatical. I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be, but that's what I'm going in praying for. We would take refuge in him as a family and be connected to each other and be connected in our walk with Christ in deep and meaningful ways. So if you could join us in praying for that, we would sincerely be grateful for that. But I hope that as we walk through this passage this morning, we see how important a life of prayer is in the world around us when everything is going so wrong, just as Jason prayed for this morning. And it won't be the last. And so in order to not get distracted and, and to not be consumed by the things that are happening around us, even the good things that pull us away from our devotion to Christ, may we be faithful to pursue the Lord in prayer, to spend time in His Word, and to live in fellowship with His people. It's a promise from God that if we are faithful in those things, He is faithful to meet our every need. We can trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, I'm very grateful for this church family, for this household of faith, for these brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I look out there, I see faces of people that I know are prayer warriors who are committed to be consistently prayerful for people within this body. And most of those people have no idea that that's happening at all. And yet we want to be a people where that is more and more true of our lives together, that it's an identity of who we are as the people of God at Melanie Park Church. We confess, Father, the sin, the deception that we can do just fine on our own, that we can pray in crisis only, we can come to church and that be the Bible reading that we do for the week, that we can spend time in fellowship when it's convenient to our schedule. Father, we confess that that's not right. That those things aren't true. That that's a deception from the hand of the enemy who wants to rob us from the things that God has promised us. 
And so, Father, help us to be faithful, to pursue you in prayer. Have a heart of dependence that says and believes with all their heart, Lord, every hour I need you. May we not make it complicated, but just in moments throughout the day, simply talk to you. Lord, give me the right words. Help me comfort and give compassion. Help me to encourage someone. Help me to see where you're at work. Help us to be people who pursue you in prayer and spend time in your word so that what we pray is a reflection of what you've promised. That's the way we know that it will be answered because it's your will when it's in your word. And so help us to be faithful, to spend time there, to know what those promises are. And Lord, help us to live in fellowship with your people because sometimes we just have to be reminded by somebody. That's why you've given us this fellowship because we are not meant to do this on our own. We all need reminders. We need encouragement. We need to know that somebody's got our back and that they are for us and that they love us. Father, may we be a people where those things really reflect the identity of who we are as a people of God at Melanie Park Church. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. Have a great day.